Hello and welcome to another edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. I'm Chris Sork alongside Dilu as we look back at K-State's uh, stunner over the Oklahoma Sooners. 48-41 victory for the Wildcats. Uh, K-State was a, a 23-24 point underdog. Uh, but was able to pull off the, the biggest upset in college football last Saturday, uh, upsetting uh, the fifth-ranked Sooners in Manhattan. So, uh, Dilo, I want to bring you in here. Of course, uh, our predictions last week couldn't have been more wrong, and I, I'm, I, to be honest with you, I couldn't be more happy to say that they were. Uh, so, K State is able to get a huge win, uh, the first, you know, major uh, program-defining win under Chris Kleiman, and uh, what a game it was. Yeah, it was an absolute thriller, and what a win for uh, Kleiman and and Thompson and just this this program that uh, you know they were coming off kind of a nail biter against TCU, and the the story of the game on Saturday was just this offense showing up after as we documented last week after sp- spending what three games or so just non-existent. Yeah. And yeah. so to to come out and have a performance like that, scoring forty eight points on a on a Oklahoma defense that was supposed to be one of the better units in the league. Yeah, and we had you know highlighted that earlier, of course, that this Oklahoma defense isn't quite the uh, the same kind of defense as what uh, maybe fans of the Big Twelve are accustomed to seeing from OU. Uh, but with K-State, uh, they didn't get off to a great start. Um, Oklahoma jumped out to an early 10-0 lead. But K-State offensively really was a story here. Um, so let's kind of just go ahead and jump right into it. So Oklahoma uh, gets out to a 10-0 lead. But K-State responds uh, with touchdowns on each of their next uh, – or on three of their next four drives uh, to take a 24-23 lead going into halftime. And – Really, when you look at it, you have to think that this K-State team um, had to feel like getting off to a good start was a priority if they were going to be hanging around this game. And it didn't look great early on uh, as they fell behind 10 nothing, but uh, they kept plugging away and they were able to find a lot of success uh, on the ground in, in particular. Well, yeah, and credit to, to Courtney Messingham. Who, and I was a little bit hard on the mess. Yeah, but but I but I thought he did something ingenious on on Saturday, and we'd been talking about how well K State's power offense can't survive unless they have a deep threat, unless they have they're stretching the field vertically. But uh, Messingham put that idea on its head because K State found different ways to open up the power running game, specifically with what they were doing with some of their counter plays. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's that. One play in particular where Gilbert uh, broke out for a uh, about a 35-yard run, just if I'm recalling uh, correctly. But what K-State was doing with their offensive line was they were taking their left guard and basically having him uh, feign, doing a faint pull. So he would pull from the left in, as if he was going to go power. And then he would stay stationary, but when he pulls when it looks like he's pulling, OU's entire uh, second line of defense, their entire linebacking core, would just shoot over to the other side of the line. And that mm-hmm. left the entire left side of the line wide open and with a lead block, a lead left guard to block for him. Mm-hmm. And so doing counters like that and being deceptive with your running game opens up big play opportunity with those plays. But then it also has the same effect of hitting 
a deep pass downfield where you're punishing teams for cheating on the power run game. And so credit to Messingham for being able to come up with uh, creative ways to really open up the power running game without having a true legitimate deep threat on the field. Well, and I also thought K-State did a really good job uh, offensively in terms of uh, attacking the edges, uh, you know, more with, with a lot more success than we had seen previously. Um, Jordan Brown uh, was able to, um, you know, hit some off to the uh, off to off on like jet sweep action, which we hadn't seen a ton of success on. We, we had seen that, you know, go through, but hadn't seen a ton of that uh, in terms of it being real successful. So a lot of great uh, things in the run game. Uh, Gilbert uh, led K-State with uh, 105 yards on the ground, an eight-yard average. Uh, Jordan Brown, uh, also very effective, five-yard average. And Skylar Thompson uh, was able to um, to make uh, the most of his carries with four touchdowns uh, on, on 39 yards of, uh, of rushing there. So K-State was getting a little bit uh, getting a little bit of help from everybody in terms of their rushing attack and it also set up some play action which uh, Thompson was was pretty efficient in as well uh, throwing the ball oh absolutely I thought this was Thompson's best game of the season hands down probably the best game of his career yeah I don't think I'm going too far out on a limb uh, saying that I think that's pretty obvious but you know he he did what we've been saying he needed to do and that's limit his bad decisions and be more accurate in the passing game. Uh, I think that there were only two plays on Saturday where I thought, man, Thompson didn't make a great decision on that one. Well, and he but, got bailed out on a couple of those too, especially one that, that sticks out to me is on the final uh, K-State drive uh, of the game, really, where it's third and seven, and he tries throwing across his, his body into the more towards the middle of the field, and a pass that could have easily been intercepted, but thankfully was just knocked to the ground. Uh, that could have really shifted some uh, one, not only one field position, but also momentum as uh, as Oklahoma down ten points at that time uh, would have had a you know short field in about four and a half minutes to, to work with. Yeah, and I mean in any game you can nitpick performances, but I guess my point is is that Thompson limited his bad decisions to really one or two. Yeah, and, and they didn't really come back to hurt him. Yeah, and you can live with that, especially when he was making the kind of throws he was making on he had Saturday. some really, really nice passes. Yeah, and so hats off to him uh, through the air, and then hats off to him on the ground getting four rushing touchdowns yeah. against this Oklahoma defense, uh, and really was just a masterful performance uh, by him. And one of the best performances by any K-State quarterback in the last, I mean, certainly the last five years or so. Well, and the thing with Thompson, too, is um, they really, I thought, smartly utilized him in the quarterback run game down by the goal line. Uh, really where most of his, his touchdowns, I mean, he only had, I think, like I said, 40 yards rushing. His longest was was 15 yards. But being an effective short yardage runner, uh, of course, not built the same way as uh, Jonathan Beasley or Colin Klein in terms of when you think about guys that uh, had a nose for the end zone. But he definitely had that nose for the end zone uh, on Saturday. And uh, like I said, you, you when you look for a signature uh, game in a career for Skylar Thompson, uh, I don't think you have to look too much further than this one. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, on one of those touchdown runs, 
it's a speed option out to yeah. the wide side. And yeah. so, uh, you know, if we can get one of those at the short side, we might be in we'll, business. We'll really be cooking with oil there. So, uh, yeah, let's talk a little bit. I want to get to uh, the passing game a little bit. Um, he threw some I mean, really nice passes. Well, I think one of the nicest balls that he threw all uh, game was uh, to slam in Sammy Wheeler. Uh, down there on at kind of on that northeast or northwest corner, uh, as we were going towards that north end zone, uh, fitting it into a, a really tight window, and this might go into one of those decisions like, wow, that could have easily been intercepted. We're you know right down here uh, inside the inside of the red zone and, and getting ready to punch one in, but I mean that's a throw that you can watch a lot of college football, and you can watch even probably some football on Sunday, and you might not see. Uh, you know, very many quarterbacks be able to fit it into a window like that. Yeah, and I think I think Thompson is just a streaky player. I think once he gets rolling, he gets going really good. And when he's when he's uh, struggling a little bit, I think that hampers him. And that's probably true for a lot of quarterbacks. Yeah. But it feels extra pronounced with uh, Thompson. And so did he, did he have the confidence to even make that throw uh, tells you where his head was at on Saturday. And one other point of note uh, for these uh, for our passing game on Saturday is that the Wildcats had nine different players catch passes. Yeah, yeah. Including two different running backs and a fullback. Mm-hmm. Well, two fullbacks, really, with, with Gam and how they use yeah, him. Yeah, that's true. H-back, yeah. uh, tight end, uh, kind of hybrid position. No, it, it was great um, variety that they used in terms of their offensive arsenal. Not only running the ball, and we and we've seen that more with with uh, this climb and Messingham uh, regime in terms of what they want to do offense. They want to get a lot of people involved. Um, well, and when you're getting that many people involved, it forces it big, the defense to respect all 53 yards of the field. Uh-huh. And when you can have that kind of diversity in the passing game, and still be an offense predicated on uh, an emphasized power run game, that uh, opens up a lot for. Uh, Messing him. Yeah, no question about it. And when you look at what K State was able to do, I mean, in terms of third and fourth down conversions, they were complete or they were six of thirteen on third down, one of one on fourth down. You know, completing fifty percent of those is is pretty darn good, and that's what it takes to pull off an upset. You have to have uh, that kind of efficiency when you know you're a little bit undermanned. And you ha- you have to make those possessions count, and you have to make those uh, possessions you know where you get down to the 30, 40 yard line, and you have third and two to be able to to extend that drive and into where you can get touchdowns rather than field goal attempts, and they were able to do that. Um, yeah, and oh, the, the really impressive thing. Sorry to cut you no, off. No, you're there, fine. But the really impressive thing was how many third down and longs. Yeah, they're uh, exactly right. I mean for. The name of the game this season for us has been, man, stay on schedule, stay ahead of the sticks, and create, uh, you know, very manageable third downs. And on Saturday, there were several times where K-State had it third and 10 or more mm-hmm. and were able to convert via either, you know, just getting getting the job done on the field or uh, baiting a penalty. And so if K-State's offense can be dynamic enough to where third and 10 or more isn't a death knell for a drive, that opens up quite a bit uh, for this offense. Well, no question about it. And when you look at what K-State was able to do offensively, they showed really pretty solid balance throughout the day. Um, When you look at 
the yards, um, it's it's you know exactly the same. Two hundred thirteen yards rushing, two hundred thirteen yards passing, which is if that's not balance, I don't know what is. And in a game like you know, in some of the years that K State has pulled uh, off upsets or whatever, it's been you know due to maybe some plays in special teams or you know just kind of dominating the turnover margin. K State did finish plus two in the turnover battle, which you've kind of felt like probably had to happen in a game like this if K State was going to win. Well, what did we say last week? What did we say needed to happen? Needed to get turnovers. Needed a big play on special teams. And we. Um, we we did, and when we got the turnovers, the big play on special teams, of course, with the the fumble on uh, the Oklahoma uh, kick return. Uh, I mean, th- those are those are opportunities that K State had to you know have happen, and those are opportunities that they had to capitalize uh, upon. You know, getting those opportunities in, in plus field position, and and they certainly did so. Um, Really, let's. I want to kind of transition to the defense now, if I can. Is there anything else you want to add on the offensive end? Uh, because we'll, we'll hit on them a little bit later as well, I'm sure. No, I just think that given the opponent, this that's one of the most impressive performances uh, out of a K-State offense that I've seen in a very, very long time. Well, and I, I would also be – we also talked last week about if K-State's going to win this game, one thing that's also going to be paramount to that taking place is – limiting the time of possession and, and really dominating that stat. And it was 38 minutes to 21 minutes, or 22 minutes, excuse me, uh, for K-State against Oklahoma. So, you know, essentially being out there for, for two-thirds of the game on offense, it, it forced Oklahoma to get away from what's a, really a team that is probably makes their, their, uh, makes their money this year running the football. When you look at it, Jalen Hurts ran for 96 yards, um, in, in on 20 carries or on 19 carries rather for five and a half or five yards a carry. But you look at Trey Sermon, three carries for nine yards. Kennedy Brooks, three carries for two yards. Outside of Oklahoma running the ball with Jalen Hurts, they didn't do anything uh, on the ground. Yeah, I mean, and that's one reason that K State ran 20 more plays than Oklahoma did on Saturday. Just being able to sustain those drives. And, you know, it's hard to be too critical of uh, Oklahoma's offense when Jalen Hurts goes 19 of 26 for about 400 yards. But uh, on the ground, it really, it was just the Jalen Hurts show on Saturday, uh, with the exception of a couple uh, just very nice plays by CeeDee Lamb. But... In terms of OU's other weapons on the ground, Trey Sermon was basically non-existent. Now, and I think part of that's because OU spent the entire second half playing catch-up. Yeah. Um, but still, if K-State, K-State was able to turn OU's offense into being pretty much one-dimensional between, between Jalen Hurts passing or Jalen Hurts running, and I think that played a, a huge advantage for K-State. Yeah, in terms of offensive production, in terms of yardage, uh, outside of Jalen Hurts, Oklahoma had six yards of offense from players that uh, that J- that Jalen Hurts was not uh, somewhat responsible for, whether if it was either running or throwing. So, K State uh, defensively made enough plays down the stretch. Um, I thought there was some kind of questionable stuff uh, from Oklahoma, kind of digging in their bag of tricks early and often in this one. Of course, there was the um, 
there was the uh, the I guess double pass if you want to call it where to the, the wide receiver that got intercepted, and then there was the like it was like a fake screen to CD Lamb who tossed it back. Now that that play was something else. Yeah, and that play just to because especially doing it to the short side of the field, which and, we love, which we, we can't get enough of, uh, was interesting to say the least. But you know, it it, it kind of left my head scratching that. Um, you know, when you look at this Oklahoma team, why are why are we getting this kind of stuff in order to uh, move the ball on K State in the first quarter? In the, in against, the first, in the well, I think the interception was the interception was, was in the second, second quarter, but, but the, still in the first half. The yeah. flea flicker wide receiver screen or whatever you want to call it. The first, the, the first of a that kind of play, I think I've seen. I it, pretty well designed play really to have a guy fall down on a wide receiver screen, get up and run a jet and catch a touchdown pass. So. Hats off to uh, Riley for that one, but uh, on the double pass, it was, I mean, frankly, it was... It was open. It was open. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> so, K-State caught a huge break yeah. just on a big mistake by Oklahoma on that play. But even so, I mean, you're playing with fire when you get into that stuff, and you would think that an offense as prolific as Oklahoma, it's averaging over nine and a half yards per play, to... Rely on that gimmicky, uh, on that kind of gimmicky scheme is a little bizarre, especially in the first half, and especially against, you know, with the perceived disparity in talent between the two teams. Mm-hmm. Why was it, why isn't Oklahoma just lining up and doing what they do best and trying to uh, attack this defense just being who they are? Yeah, and maybe that's just respect for Scott Hazleton's unit. Uh, maybe it was. Just that they, they saw thought, something and they maybe they thought work. they just could. I yeah. mean, maybe it's arrogance that okay, let's just go score a touchdown on this play. But uh, credit to the K State defense for you know on the double pass th- that pass that receiver that he threw to in the middle was open. Yeah, but his first option wasn't. Yeah, and so uh, so credit to uh, the K State defense for at least you know even if they would have completed that pass to. Uh, the guy, the attended receiver, it wouldn't have been that. I think it was going to be about a ten or twelve yard gain. So, so uh, credit to the K State defense for being there and being in a position to punish Oklahoma when they did make a mistake. Well, let's talk about um, let's talk about this K State defense. I mean, giving up forty one points to Oklahoma. You know, if I told you before the game Oklahoma is going to score forty one points, I think. You would have said, okay, well, K State lost this game by anywhere 24 from twenty-four points, maybe? twenty-four to twenty-eight points. Yeah, kind of about what you would maybe have expected it going in. But uh, this defense made enough plays down the stretch. Um, of course, the score looks a little bit closer than it really felt like most of that third quarter and fourth quarter, uh, with a big third quarter where K State outscored Oklahoma seventeen to nothing. Uh, K-State was uh, staked to a 25-point lead, and they didn't really have to do too much. Uh, Offensively, they just needed to kind of just keep Oklahoma at bay, and you kind of felt like that they just weren't going to have enough time, enough possessions to win this game. Um, But I thought the defense did play well enough. A couple guys that really uh, caught my eye, uh, Wyatt Hubert and Elijah Sullivan. Absolutely. I thought uh, those two did a great – had a – Great game on uh, on Saturday. Hubert really has taken on. I think you know most K State fans would have said between Reggie Walker and Wyatt Hubert, K State have you know one of the, probably one of the better 
defensive end combos in the Big 12. I, I'm beginning to think that Wyatt Hubert has really, and not no no disrespect to Reggie Walker, but I think Kyle or uh, Wyatt Hubert's really kind of ascended himself into being one of the premier defensive players in the conference. Uh, I think here through what's his you know real second year of real action here, and I think that. With, when you look at what he's done already in his career at K-State, I don't think it takes too much squinting to see him being uh, an all-Big 12 caliber player uh, this year, next year, and a guy who's going to probably make a living on Sundays. I think so. Um, he's got he's got all the tools. He's got the size. He's got a high enough motor to uh, pass rush. I think that, yeah, that's absolutely true. Uh, also credit to uh, Elijah Sullivan, who had a nice game as well, including a sack in another uh, tackle for a loss. So uh, all in all, I was, you know, it's hard to be too pleased with the defense's performance uh, when you give up 41 points and 18 points uh, in the fourth quarter alone. But uh, holding Oklahoma to a total of six points in the second and third quarters is no easy feat because, again, it it can't be overemphasized how, uh, how good this Oklahoma – offense is. I mean, statistically, this is, again, one of the best offenses in history. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, if you can keep an offense like that at bay uh, and hold them under seven points for half the game, then uh, you're really going a long way in giving your team a shot to win. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's um, let's kind of just put a bow here on this game. And I want to kind of go back, and I was thinking about this the other day. When you think about surprising K-State victories, this one has to be right at the top, if not right near the top, if not the most surprising. But when I was going through, I was thinking, I'm just thinking in the last couple of years. I'm thinking of Oklahoma State on the road in 2017. This one, of course... Um, I think if you go back a little bit further, you might have thought maybe that 2012 Oklahoma game where uh, Oklahoma going on the road there, uh, and I think we were about probably a 17-point dog or so going on the road and winning that game. This one, to me, felt the most surprising out of anyone that I could remember, maybe since that 2003 Oklahoma upset. Well, there's... there's three games that stick out in my mind, and this is one of them, in terms of games where... Going into it, I thought K-State really doesn't have a chance. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's basically just an exhibition. I just treat it like an exhibition, and let's just go out there and put up a good showing, and I'll be happy uh, that we ended up winning. First one, 03. Yeah. The, the Big 12 championship against Oklahoma mm-hmm. in 2003. Second one, 2006 Texas. Okay, yeah, sure. Um, where it's just a juggernaut coming in, and you just hope for the best. But uh, and then finally uh, was Saturday. I think yep. I think those three are the most shocked I've ever been at uh, K State victories. Yeah, that 06 Texas games. I can definitely see that too because Texas was, you know, looked like they were positioned to you know win the Big Twelve, uh, get to a, a a national championship game, and they come into Manhattan and and it was kind of similar. Kate. K State got out, started building some confidence. Uh, you know, took the lead going into halftime, and then uh, kind of extended that lead into the third 
uh, quarter, early part of the fourth quarter, and then had to kind of hold on at the end uh, in that one. So that's a, that's actually a pretty apt uh, comparison, I think. Well, it's, a, it's a good job by you there. And K-State had lost four games at that point in the season, and all four games they'd lost by uh, double digits. And so it was just very unlikely. And But the longer the game went on, you thought, okay, this is looking pretty good. And then in both the 06 game and on the game on Saturday, K-State gets out to a pretty sizable lead and it's just uh, you're white-knuckling uh, until the clock hits zero. Well, and it, it was. And let's get to kind of the white – I guess the most white-knuckling part of that game was uh, the review on the onside kick. From your perspective, what did you think of how that whole situation unfolded? I don't know, man. I, I don't know. It's – those rules are so weird, and replay is so weird and hard to tell. The The announcer certainly seemed like it was cut and dry, but I still don't really see it. But I was more than happy to take it, and what do I know? Yeah, it's one of those things where the call on the field, I think, really dictates... Well, the call on the field was... That they, Oklahoma that they, football. Yeah, and that's what surprised me about it. And that's why I didn't think – I thought it was going to get upheld and I thought Oklahoma was going to have the ball. So that's why I thought I was pretty surprised that that was able to be overturned. Well, my understanding is that whether or not an Oklahoma player touches it is reviewable. But whether or not he's blocked, blocked in. into it yeah. is not reviewable. And so they determined that – an Oklahoma player touched it, and for the sake of the review, that's all that, that's all they could review. So yeah, and so that that was dispositive, and so, um, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's uh, it's an odd thing, but K State's certainly been on the other end of enough odd things over the years that with that when that happens, you don't ask too many questions and you take the win. But the other thing is, Oklahoma still had to drive forty yards to tie. Yeah, and they had about, what, about a minute and a half? Yeah, and so, in no timeouts. And so, and don't forget, on the previous drive, the drive stalled. Mm-hmm. And so it's not like... It, was, it wasn't It was a foregone conclusion. I mean, I think yeah. Oklahoma probably would have found a way to score a touchdown, but you don't know that. But maybe. Maybe and, not. And maybe they wouldn't have got the two-point conversion, or maybe they would have lost in overtime. And, and so there were a lot of... There were still, even if Oklahoma recovers that onside kick, K-State still had a lot of outs so to speak, in terms yeah. of uh, winning the game. Well, and it, what it, it kind of made me think of is when I'm sitting back and I'm watching uh, the replay and I'm watching kind of how things are unfolding, and I was like, well, you know, if Oklahoma would have got the ball back, I, I feel like they probably would have scored. But it kind of made me think back to that uh, 2017 Oklahoma State game where Oklahoma State was just, uh, you know, I think I can't remember exactly what they were down by. I think they were down by 24 with like 10 minutes left. Or they were down, I believe, four scores or three or four scores and made it up like nothing. And they forced a, they got the ball back with oh, about the same time. I want to say about a minute and a half, needing a touchdown to win. And they go four plays and out. I <laughs> think four, four straight incomplete passes, which I would have never in my wildest dreams with how well they had been moving the ball thought that that was what was going to occur on that drive. So you never know. Um, of course, I'm glad that K-State didn't have to find out what could have happened because um, I'll just like to take the drama out of that if I could. Absolutely. But uh, 
yeah, the world may never know, and I'm okay with it. Yeah. Well, let's. I want to ask one other question here as we kind of put a bow here on the Oklahoma game. Is um, in terms of how you feel right now about K State football. How? When was the last time you felt this good about a, a win, or how you felt about uh, you know where K State's you know going here as we enter the the second half of the season here? Oh, I guess probably the last time. Well, Mississippi State. <laughs> so this earlier in the season. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, See, I'm prior little... to K State having lost uh, in kind of ugly fashion twice, uh, I was riding pretty high on the horse after the uh, after going down to Starkville and beating a fringe top twenty five Mississippi State team. Okay. So you, you were you rode the wave a little bit higher than I maybe did, I guess, in terms of maybe I'm just riding the wave higher right now than I would have uh, been after that Mississippi State game. For yeah, sure. either that or like after the Texas Bowl. Um, what was that, the Texas Bowl or yeah. A&M? Mm-hmm. I mean, it was pretty easy. When to... you first said Texas Bowl, I was like, after that loss to Rutgers, you're really oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's where I'm yeah, yeah, I was. Yeah, what was what's not to love about just getting <laughs> your uh, the doors blown off you by Ray Rice and Greg Schiano? But uh, what what about you? What's the last time you were feeling this good? You know, that's a really good question. I would have oh, to thank s- you. I would. <laughs> I, I, it's almost as, as good of a question as if I would have asked it. Uh, but, uh, no, I think the maybe the highest I felt coming off this was maybe, oh, I think with the fact that you have a new coach and, you know, you see maybe some potential uh, beyond just maybe what uh, you saw maybe under Bill Snyder. I, coming off the win against Oklahoma in 2014, I felt really confident this team could be going into November playing meaningful games at that time to get into the college football playoff. And, uh, you know, granted they lost TCU and Baylor, two of the, the tougher teams, you know, in the Big 12 Conference, co-champions of the conference that year. That was really when I felt uh, kind of at the highest because I thought, well, looking at the rest of that schedule for K-State uh, in 2014, that, that they wouldn't have too much trouble and that they'd be able to, you know, if they were able to take care of business on the road against those two teams, they would be, they'd be right there with the case to get in the college football playoff. Now, granted that didn't happen. But in terms of uh, well, at the time we didn't know just how good Baylor and TCU were. Sure, sure. And but for me, I'd say maybe this is the best I felt about K State uh, either since then, maybe 2012, uh, when we really started getting rolling after another OU win, uh, where that that schedule kind of lo- starts looking good. Maybe after that West Virginia win, uh, where we just blow the doors off them in Morgantown and and start feeling like this is a team that's uh, gonna win a, or gonna you know, be a favorite to win a conference title, maybe get to the national title. Now, granted, that's not the same thing we're saying now, obviously. No, it's just the sentiment. It's just, it's just like unbridled optimism. Yeah, that, that, you know, this team, if you squint hard enough, you know, maybe we could win out. You know, now, granted, I don't think that's going to happen either. But uh, for K-State fans that are are riding high and feeling optimistic, um, I'm certainly not going to be one that that puts you down on that. No, I mean, this is why we do it for these feelings and these – Times where you can really let your mind hope. I mean, this is this is the best thing about college football. Yeah, and you know, K State here said after seven games, uh, five and two, two and two in the league, and it, it starts looking like a uh, you know you've got KU here uh, coming up, uh, which we'll we'll touch on here shortly, but the and then next week you go on the road to Texas, where K State will probably be an underdog. Uh, anywhere from seven to ten points, I would expect, 
And then the rest of the games on the schedule against West Virginia, against Texas Tech on the road, and at home against Iowa State, you think you're probably going to be favored in in those games. Uh, maybe a slight favorite against Iowa State. Depends what happens. It depends on what happens, of course. Yeah. But you, If K-State goes out and lays an egg against KU in Texas, well, I think yeah. K-State will probably be a dog at Tech and against Iowa State at home. Yeah. All else being equal. But, uh, you know, this... Getting to see a little bit of what uh, what K State was able to bring to the table against Oklahoma uh, definitely gives you um, some some excitement for what is, is still um, another five games on the schedule where K State needs another game to get bowl eligible and then uh, you know see what happens from there. So yeah, well, Dilu, is there anything else you want to say uh, here uh, as we wrap up the Oklahoma? review portion of this podcast before we uh, transition to the KU portion of the preview? No, just w- what a fun what a fun few hours for those uh, who were lucky enough to be at the stadium on Saturday. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, uh, that'll do it here for the Oklahoma review portion of the Short Side Option podcast. After a short break, uh, we will bring on Brian Haney, uh, play-by-play man uh, for KU, uh, for him to give his uh, quick thoughts on the uh, Sunflower Showdown get his prediction, and uh, you'll hear our analysis and our predictions uh, on the Dillon Sunflower Showdown between KU and K-State. Join us after the break. All right, I am here with uh, Brian Haney. Uh, Brian, uh, thanks for taking some time out uh, to speak with me here today. Uh, I know you've got a lot of things on your plate, so we're going to be cautious with your time, so we're just going to go to a little thing we call on the short side option called three and out. Are you ready? I sure am, Chris. All right, so last week's game against Texas Tech, uh, a crazy game. KU uh, was able to come back and uh, upset the Red Raiders. What did you? Uh, what, what's your thoughts on that game? Well, last week, Carter Stanley had to invoke another famous Stanley. I'm talking, of course, about Stanley yelled at from the Lewis Shar Classic holes because the Jayhawks had to dig out of their own hole. But with the help of a little Puka, the Bazooka Magic, the Jayhawks pulled the rabbit out of their Mad Hatters and won the game after Liam John Paul Jones sailed the kick right through the uprights. Well, uh, he certainly did do that, I suppose, and it was a, it was a big game for KU, of course. Uh, talk a little bit about what the pulse of the program is right now. I mean, uh, how have things been going in Lawrence here uh, with year one uh, of Les Miles? Well, Chris, Les Miles is bringing more smiles to Kansas, and when it comes to this offense, Brent Dearman, dear God, man, has these Jayhawks fans waving more wheat than a Dorothy Gale Force wind along the Kansas prairie. Well, uh, let's see here. I mean, we've got uh, K-State coming in number 22, uh, coming off a big win against Oklahoma. Of course, Tech coming, or Alpha, KU coming off a big win against Tech. What's your prediction for uh, Saturday's Sunflower Showdown? Well, Icon, the echoes will be heard from Larned to Lenexa, from Goodland to Goddard, from Pratt to Pretty Prairie, because Rock Chalk Jayhawks are going to defeat the Wildcats 41-38. to Well, Brian, we, we heard here first from you. I hope you're wrong, but uh, we'll be anxious to see how that turns out on Saturday. Uh, thanks for spending some time with us. Yeah, uh, Brian, thanks a lot for uh, your time tonight. The pleasure was all mine, boys. All right, well, thanks again to uh, Brian Haney for uh, spending some time with us. And uh, deal? 
Let's go ahead and take a look here at the KU Jayhawks. Uh, KU comes off a big win against uh, against Texas Tech. When you look at what KU has done this season, it, whether depending on how close you've been following the Jayhawks, they made a um, they made a switch at the offensive coordinator uh, position with uh, with uh, Dearman. Is it Brent Dearman? Yeah, Brent Dearman, and uh, from from Les Canning, uh, who. Uh, Les Smiles had, had fired about uh, midway through the season. Uh, since he has taken over, um, this KU offense has been humming at a pretty good rate, led by Carter Stanley. Uh, he's been really pretty efficient. 65% completion percentage, 19 touchdowns to five interceptions. Of course, you know about uh, Puka Williams, uh, Khalil Herbert, who had just tr- had transferred, uh, or, well, had set out and is intending to transfer. Um, or he made in that, making that decision uh, before the TCU game. You wonder uh, if he's having all the second thoughts now. I you, mean, kinda, you kind of do wonder. This KU offense. But uh, this KU offense has some, has some skill talent. I mean, Puka Williams is one of the better running backs in the Big 12, uh, but they've also gotten guys, uh, Stephon Robinson Jr., um, Andrew Parchment, uh, Dalen Charlotte, who was uh, the transfer from Alabama, They've got some guys that have some have some talent, and, and this KU offense has shown that they can be pretty explosive. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, credit to uh, Miles for making the switch to Dearman uh, midseason, but you also have to kind of wonder, like, man, after that Coastal Carolina game, I remember thinking, this is... Say bold KU. This is the worst... This is just yeah. about the worst offense I've ever seen. Yeah, it was I pretty mean, bad. And I remember thinking... Gosh, how bad must their backup quarterback McVitie be if he can't? Well, in McVitie, when we when we had kind of previewed um, KU with our uh, KU insider uh, Swish Austin Swisher, um, we look at you know he expected McVitie to be the guy, and I kind of thought that Stanley was the best of those guys just because I had I mean obviously I hadn't seen anything from McVitie, but I thought Carter Stanley had shown some moxie, had shown some. Uh, some gumption in, in some of these games. Of course, he kind of got inserted late in, in the season, previous seasons. But I thought he showed like he was a pretty capable player. Um, and now you're kind of seeing it uh, t- come to fruition here. Yeah, and I think one thing that Dearman's done uh, is the offense for the KU's running just seems to take. I mean, it's a lot of pressure on the quarterback because he's got to make his progressions very quick in an RPO-heavy uh, offense. But on the other hand, it it simplifies things because it's very... Y- y- the quarterback doesn't have a ton of... He doesn't have to be all that creative. It's, if this is there, do this. If it's not there, do this. And it's just quick, logical progressions. And so just simplifying the offense and not putting your quarterback in a position where he's having to sit back in the pocket and try to, you know, look for coverage gaps or stuff like that. It makes the offense just very snappy, I guess, is the way to put it. And Carter Stanley's really thrived in it. I mean, he's he's got the arm and the tools to make those uh, passes that they ask him to make. But he, he's also been doing it on the ground, too, a little bit. And so uh, credit to uh, Carter Stanley – and then, as you mentioned, K State's got some decent skill position, or KU's got some decent skill position players. Yeah, they do. With uh, 
Puka Williams and even Felton Gardner, yeah. a guy that uh, K State was in on, uh, who's a freshman, um, uh, has been doing some nice things for KU. Got a touchdown against Texas Tech last week, uh, and a trio of uh, really good wide receivers. Well, really good. I don't want to make it sound like I don't want to overstate it. I mean, these guys aren't all Americans. The skill, at least the wide receivers, aren't all Americans. They're probably not all conference types, but. Certainly a, a decent enough unit. Yeah, no, I don't think that you're going to get any argument from me on that. Uh, Talent-wise, at the skill positions, you'd have to say running back in KU probably – or running back and wide receiver probably favor KU in this game uh, in terms of their positions uh, out on the edge. Now, what K-State, I think, what they may lack in offensive playmakers, they kind of make up in, in some efficiencies in, in terms of being efficient – Keeping the ball away um, from the opposing team with the time of possession game, uh, but also, you know, capitalizing this K State def- or this K State team has capitalized on opportunities, whether if it's been uh, short fields um, and, and punching it in in the red zone, uh, they've been doing a better job of lately. And if K State's going to win uh, against KU, I think more of the same is going to have to hold true here. Yeah, I mean, I think the difference between the two offenses is that K-State has the infrastructure uh, in the trenches. Yeah, to, you're looking at two completely different, yeah, you know, style mean, that, stylistically two different types, of course. Yeah, I mean, KU's offense is predicated on being getting the ball out of the quarterback's hand relatively quickly. Now, that doesn't mean they don't try to stretch the field, because they will. Mm-hmm. But you're not going to see slow developing plays for KU, because... Frankly, I don't think KU's offensive line is is good enough to allow that kind of time. But uh, what KU does well, they play to their strength, and that strength is getting the ball out to the edge relatively quickly. Well, let's uh, let's kind of switch here to the defensive side of the ball here for KU. Um, defensively, they have been pretty bad, uh, really, all season. Now, especially. when you say bad, you mean like bad or bad, like kind of. Bad. I mean, they've given up 29 points to West Virginia, not a, not a crazy amount there, but 51 points to TCU, 45 to Oklahoma, 50 to Texas, and then 34 last week in a win uh, against Texas Tech. So they're giving up some points. Uh, K-State does not want to make this a track meet by any stretch. Uh, but defensively, you know, you don't look at this, this KU defense and, and really – have kind of that same issue of, you know, what that K-State was going through earlier this season. It's like, man, are, are we going to be able to score 28, 21 points? You feel like K-State should have some success against this defense, uh, especially with what we've seen kind of the last couple weeks. Um, what I guess what are your thoughts on what you see from the, this KU defense here um, so far this season? Yeah, I think uh, KU's – or KU really struggles defensively is probably in their front seven. I mean, I think KU's got – some decent playmakers in the secondary with Son Defense and uh, Bryce Tornaden. Uh But their front seven is really a little dodgy. Um, they're having to play uh, some young guys there that, you know, and with your linebackers and defensive line, you like them to be in their 20s, give them a chance to feed them a couple biscuits, give, give them, get their bodies in shape to be power five players. Uh, and so... You're seeing guys like Gavin Potter, who, again, K-State fans should be familiar with. Yep. 
who are being asked to, to do a lot. I mean, if you look back at last week, Gavin Potter had six solo tackles in that game. So he's been getting a lot of run early on. Um, and for a young guy like that, it's asking a lot for him uh, to be able to play assignment sound and physical football that that's demanded in the Big 12. Yeah. Well, KU not what is the worst team in the Big 12 in terms of yards per game uh, that they've allowed uh, in terms of rushing the football at uh, 246 games in, or 246 yards a game in conference play. If K-State's going to have uh, success on Saturday, you have to look at that number and say, okay, that's where we're making our hay. This this is the identity of this team is, is running the ball, and uh, we're going up against a team that has had trouble stopping the run all season. Yeah, I mean, it's it's what you want. You In college football, you want your offensive strength to be the defense's weakness. Sure. Um, and so you could bet that KU is going to make K-State's running game the focal point of what they do. Um, it wouldn't shock me if they said, okay, we're going to sell out on the run this week. It's just a matter of whether K-State – uh, and Courtney Messingham could be creative like they were last week and do some different deceptive things to, to catch the KU defense out of position. So they can uh, exploit uh, KU's bad rush defense, even if KU's really committing a lot of uh, attention to the run. Well, let's, uh, is there, I guess, is there any other avenue of this game that you really want to kind of cover uh, before we get into our predictions? No, um, just that, you know, with... Uh, this Brent Deerman offense um, that's been giving um, Texas and Texas Tech and really Boston College fits uh, so far this season, uh, I just, you know, if if it was up to me, I'd think that Hazleton's the guy that I trust to be able to uh, solve that riddle. And um, one thing that gives me a little bit of pause is that KU's offense, you know, these where they've had success the last couple of weeks, it's been big play success. Mm-hmm. And so and that's obviously been K-State's Achilles heel this season where K-State will play a good game defensively for 95% of the plays, but then two or three plays a game, yeah. you just, you're left scratching your head, whether it's you know Baylor's wide receiver breaking five tackles in that game or Max Duggan breaking, you know, Eight yeah. tackles in that run, or CeeDee Lamb getting loose on a one-play Hubbard drive last week. Hubbard, uh, you know, hitting a big one. Yeah, so it's been a, a weekly thing, and so you, it gives me a little bit of pause to look at KU's legitimately good, deep, you know, explosive play offense. Um, that's the only thing that gives me a little bit of worry, so it's going to be imperative for these K-State safeties to make sure to keep everything in front of them. Denzel Goolsby... He can't be out of position and take bad angles on Saturday, or that could really cause K-State. One thing I do want to get to before we make our predictions here uh, on this game is K-State obviously coming off of um, uh, you know, a big-time win against Oklahoma. What concern do you have over a little bit of a hangover effect uh, coming off such a big win? Do you feel like maybe some of the boys might have their nose in the Manhattan Mercury reading some of their press clippings this week as as they get ready to take on uh, take on KU? Well, you worry about it. Who's that writer? Ned for Seaton, the, man. Ned Seaton. How yeah. can you... They're going to be too busy reading what Ned Seaton has to say. Um, no, yeah, it's almost cliche to point that out because that's well, on everybody's mind right now. But you know what? KU also had a game where the fans stormed the field last week, and that was a monumental victory. 
Um, so, yeah, I think that it's easy to get caught up in it, but based on the the magnitude of this game and much of the team was there under Snyder, they remember oh, sure. the emphasis that he played, uh, that he placed on the Sunflower Showdown and especially with how close the game was last year. I mean, K-State was really in a bind at one point in the game last year and lucky to uh, come away with a victory. Uh, that I th- I would hope that K-State's offense, or K-State's team, rather, isn't letting their egos get too out of control, especially because, you know, it wasn't that long ago that this team was really reeling. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a very good point to make. And all, the other thing I, too, want to mention is we, we kind of compared – the Oklahoma uh, win to the um, 2006 Texas game. Well, of course, that 2006 Texas game, the following week, K-State goes out and, and loses to uh, loses to KU. Now, granted, that wasn't a bad KU team either uh, that, that they lost to that day. But when you think about this K-State team, I feel like there's enough discipline – you know, of course, too, with it, you know, most of these guys just being, you know, one year away from um, from Bill Snyder uh, at the helm and his in, in his uh, importance that he placed on this K on this KU game. And it just it's a meaningful game for you have to realize a lot of this uh, a lot of this uh, roster is from the state of Kansas. So it, it does mean a lot. So. I don't really feel as bad now. Like I, I was speaking uh, with my dad today. If let's say K State was, if it wasn't K State, if it was Texas or if it was TCU that just gets a big home win against uh, Oklahoma and then goes out on the road to KU, then yeah, that, I think that would be a look ahead spot. But with it being a, a game, an in-state rivalry game, I don't feel like K State will necessarily be looking ahead if uh, if they have trouble. Uh, on on Saturday, I don't think it'll be due to being ill prepared. Yeah, and that's true. And you know, it's easy to say, "Well, KU got a victory at home last week against Texas Tech," but mind you, Texas Tech's one of the worst teams in the. Co- I think K State's a better team than Texas Tech. Yeah. And uh, Texas Tech really, you know, kind of gifted that one. Gifted. I mean, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's hard to uh, to say it any other way when they. They pitch the ball to nobody with less yeah, than and, and for the seconds. folks that may not have, have seen how the KU game against Texas Tech ended last week, uh, the game's tied. KU is uh, in position to kick uh, the the go ahead field goal, and uh, Texas Tech blocks it. Texas Tech recovers it. They in an attempt to run it back, uh, the Texas Tech player tries lateraling it to another Texas Tech player. Uh, the ball's loose. KU recovers it, uh, and they have a chance to kick another field goal, which this time they make and. Uh, that's the winner. So yeah, just like Brian. Yeah, uh, just, and, and just just to you know paint the other picture there. Yeah. But uh, you know it, it was uh, it was a nice win for KU. Uh, of course, um, they're they're still thinking that bowl eligibility is uh, in play for them. <sighs> they have to squint a little bit hard, but they still don't have seven losses, so it still is a. Uh, it's still there. This a win this weekend would go a long way towards that. But uh, K State can pretty much end any uh, thin hope that exists for KU if K-State gets a job done. And bowl eligibility is on the line, of course, for K-State, too, this week, uh, set at 5-2. and two. Um, In terms of a uh, Sunflower Showdown, is this the one that – is this game uh, this year involving K-State and KU uh, the game that you probably can remember the most buildup uh, going on since since when? 
Boy, probably since like 2010. Um, I would think that I I can't think of another time that K State's been probably what was the line last year? Ten points or so. Yeah, so this is probably the closest line that there's been since 2010. I would imagine the game where K State won. Believe what 55, 59? 59, 50, I think it was fifty nine seven. Yeah, where uh, we were at that game together. Yeah, for for a, a, for a while yeah, until we until one of us not gonna point fingers here, but one of us got asked to leave. Very unfairly. Very unfairly. I may Yep. But uh, but no, I think yeah, it's been a long time since there's been this much anticipation for a sunflower showdown. I, I agree. I agree. And I think that this, uh, I think both sides feel going into this game that this is uh, a game that they can win. So let's go ahead and get the prediction. Uh, Dilo, I'll put you on the spot first. I'm going to say K State wins this one 38 to 28. I think uh, K State's defense is up to the task. And I think K State's offense is going to have uh, a big day on the ground and build on some of the momentum they, uh, they got over Oklahoma. You're going 38 28? 38-28. Okay. I'm going to go K-State 35, KU 27. All right. So, so right in the same neighborhood. Yep. 35-27 for me. 10-point uh, disparity for you. 8-point disparity for me. So I think it'll be a, a game that's going to be competitive and going into the fourth quarter. I, I think K-State is going to be able to have some success running the ball on the ground. And uh, I think that will ultimately be the difference in terms of you know, limiting the possessions, uh, keeping this KU uh, offense, you know, off the field, and uh, the defense makes enough plays uh, in order to uh, preserve a K-State win and uh, to move the Wildcats to 6-2. All right. Well, there you have it, folks. Uh, D-Lou and the Icon are both on the same side of this one, and hopefully uh, this is one that we're right on. Absolutely. Well, uh, let's take a quick break, and we will be back uh, where uh, we'll answer your questions uh, with this week's Wildcat, or well, we'll answer your questions and ask the icon, and uh, Dilu will uh, have another Wildcat legend coming for us, uh, which I'm sure you will not want to miss. Uh, folks, join us after the break for Ask the Icon and Wildcat Legend. Back after this. All right, welcome back to this week's edition of the Short Side Option Podcast, where we are now going to get into uh, a segment that we call This Week's Wildcat Legend. And icon, this week's Wildcat Legend. Is none other. I'm just going to get right into it. I'm just going to tell you. I can't wait. No buildup. The man needs no introduction. It's Travis Litton. Litton, of course, was a linebacker from Beloit, Kansas. And while he has a bunch of great accolades throughout his career, excellent player, sure tackler, and mean on the football field. Absolutely. There's one play in particular that uh, I want to guide our listeners back to. And that play came, of course, in the 1998 edition of the Dylan Sunflower Showdown, where he he and Jeff Kelly damn near <laughs> decapitated I know the play. Uh, Zach uh, Weg- Wegner. Yeah. Yeah. We'll say Zach Degner. Wasn't that a- <laughs> <laughs> I didn't like that. Yeah. The f- tongue-tied. But, uh, yeah, that, that was a sloppy game. Yeah, well. On Halloween, in fact. Oh, no kidding. Yep. And were you at that one? I sure was. Me and uh, me and my old man. But uh, man, did you stay dry? No, it was very rainy. But uh, yeah, that was. 
poor uh, Zach Wagner was taking the ball out of the backfield, and this is a quarterback for KU, and he's moving towards, I believe, the south end zone. And he tries to slide, I think. It looks like it. He, he looks like he's going down. But Jeff Kelly and uh, Travis Litton come from two opposite sides, and they meet in the middle uh, right on uh, Zach Wagner's body. And it's surprising that that he got up from that play because yeah. it was pretty horrible. You know, I, he got injured on that play, but I think it was something like he broke his finger. Oh, really? Yeah, I, yeah. I remember. Don't quote me on that, but I think that it was some like odd injury where it looks like this guy is going to be in a full body <laughs> cast, yeah. you know. But it, I, if I remember right, he, he came away with it with just some my, that car wreck with just some minor bumps and bruises, all yeah. things considered. Well, would you say? Uh, would it, do you think it'd be fair to say that uh, Travis Litton lit up? Oh, you're you're taking a page out of our friend Brian's playbook. <laughs> I think his Wagner gets lit up by uh, Travis Litton. Is <laughs> Brian? Are you back? <laughs> no, no, no. no. He, oh, okay. Bye, Brian. He, he's elsewhere. But uh, uh, but what a what a play that that was, and it's certainly uh, something all K State fans uh, can call to mind uh, when they think about the Sunflower Showdown and off the field these days. Travis is a uh, he's a territory customer support manager at John Deere in Newton, Kansas, and I think he's doing a great job out there. Oh, I'm sure he is. Sure yeah. He's doing a terrific job. And so uh, he's he's taking care of people uh, who need support for their tractors or other farm Combines, equipment. Yeah, yeah, sprayers. And he also is cards. taking care of quarterbacks on the gridiron. And like on that 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 taking care of business is what makes Travis Litton this week's. Wildcat legend. And now, listeners, we are going to get into our final segment of the week, a segment that we call Ask the Icon. An icon, uh, this is the segment where people can uh, ask questions to you, the icon. Oh, that's right, they do, don't Short side options, very on icon, Chris Sork. And um, they can do that by submitting their questions to us on Twitter, uh, by tweeting at us at TSSO underscore podcast. Or using the hashtag Ask the Icon, or sometimes people will text us their questions, or um, maybe they'll see us on the street and just ask us questions then, and we'll try to remember, and we'll try to answer them on the show. All right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, are you ready, Icon? Oh, I'm born ready. Okay. Um, our first question this week comes from listener Ep at Johnny underscore Epley Seed. Ep asks if. The Cats went out. OU drops again against Baylor. Are we going to Arlington? Um, yeah, we. Yeah, would. I think mathematically, yeah, I think that's how it would work. Unless, um, no, yeah, that's that, that's, that's how <laughs> that's how that, it works. That's exactly I mean, how uh, that's exactly how it works. I couldn't remember whether or not Oklahoma State already had three losses they in do. the conference, but they, they sure do. do. They sure do. So yeah, asked and answered. Um, so and I, I think if you had to put a gun to my head, I'd say Oklahoma probably wins out from here on out. Oklahoma's uh, college football playoff uh, hopes took a bit of a shot against uh, K-State. but uh, Man, I don't know. I think Baylor could. That's going to be a heck of a game. No, I think Baylor has you know, somewhat 
on a national scale floated on the radar because they haven't ha- they haven't had to play you know the big guns in the Big Twelve yet with with what people had presumed Texas Oklahoma uh, and they get those guys later uh, in Waco by the way so. You know, there's going to be uh, some opportunity for Baylor to really announce themselves uh, on the national scene, but uh, Baylor is sitting in pretty darn good shape right now uh, to get uh, one of those um, with one, to one of those uh, spots in Arlington. Baylor gets them at home, and you know what? No, you know who else gets them at home? That last game of the season, Bedlam. That uh, you know, that's always a great game, and it's always and unpredictable. And by that time, Spencer Sanders will have will have had just about a whole season under his belt. That Trio of Hubbard and Wallace. That's not getting any worse. Really nice win last week for Oklahoma State on the road in Ames. You Uh, bet. A a game that, you know, I didn't expect Oklahoma State to win. But they go on the road and and they they take it to Iowa State. Yeah, so I think that they're... uh, Man, the only game I feel really confident that OU's just going to probably take care of business or really should take care of business is against TCU. But, shoot, I mean, I don't think that... Iowa State's necessarily a gimme for him either. Well, you, you thought about Oklahoma, and not to get too far off base here, but you, when you were looking at this Oklahoma team, you thought that they had figured out their defense and that their defense was was much improved from where it had been in previous years. And uh, after last Saturday, you probably have some of those questions if you're an Oklahoma fan on on really you know what this defense uh, what this defense truly is. Yeah. So um, a lot of questions for. Uh, the much ballyhooed Grinch, uh, the rest of the season. Uh, Epp asks a trio of questions, and his uh, second question is: Rank your top how your top four Halloween candies that are in the four candy playoff. Okay, so just top four Halloween candies. Yeah. Well, um, Drew, as you know, I I don't care for candy really. You're I, you're too serious of a man to really pay too much attention to sweets. Sorry, I didn't. Qu- Siri, S- Siri, not now. I said sweets. Not, not, not now, dear. Um, too Siri of a man, I think, is what really. Took oh, her you're off. probably right. But um, no, to answer to answer Epps' questions though, uh, Kit Kat, Twix, Skittles, Reese's. All right, so kind of the wild card Skittles there. The others are uh, chocolate based, but yep. then you have a the organ. Of snacks, I think, would be crashing that playoff is Skittles. I do like Skittles, man. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, Epp asks, will an undefeated Baylor make the college football playoff over a one-loss Alabama or LSU, or will it be 2014 all over again for the Bears? Yes, yeah. if Baylor goes undefeated, they will be in the playoff. Yeah, and people forget that in 2014, it wasn't that TCU and Baylor were undefeated. Sure. And, and Ohio State got in over them. It was that... Those were two 11-1 teams that lost out to a 12-1 conference champion, Ohio State. Yep. Now, granted, they everybody raised hell about quality losses and pointed to Virginia Tech as being a bad loss that Ohio State had, and it wasn't a very good loss. It was pretty bad. but It was bad. But they, they all had the same number of losses that year. Okay? So it, it wasn't this insane injustice that people like to remember it was. Yeah, and the thing is, too, is when you look at Baylor's non-conference schedule, nothing's really there uh, for him this year, um, as it was in that year, uh, 2014. But um, Baylor's loss to West Virginia that year kind of 
you know, doomed them there a little bit. But had had they had a Big 12 championship game where it was Texas uh, Christian and Baylor uh, meeting for round two, do they get in then? I don't know. That's a great question. I, yeah, it, we have it, to. It, it would be. It would probably. I don't know. It would be. It'd be tough. Um, it'd be. It'd be tough to say. But until it happens, I'm. I think it's fair to say that number of losses is number one A in terms of what the college football playoff committee looks at. So I think uh, an undefeated Baylor team wouldn't be left out. Yeah, the college football playoff is pretty well stuck to the traditional ranking methodology that college football fans have, have grown accustomed to over the poll era. And it's, if you lose, you kind of go back to the, to you, you step back in the pack and you get kind of grouped with these one loss teams. But if you keep winning and you're in a power five conference, you're going to get in. If you go undefeated and you, you know, win your conference in your power five, that's all you really need to do. That's a lot to do, but you're in. Yeah, the name of the game in college football is lose the fewest amount of games. And that'll put you ahead of anybody that's lost more games, assuming you're in a Power 5 conference with, you know, a, a semi-respectable schedule. And yeah. Baylor being in a Power 5 conference has just that. Um, okay, our next question comes from listener Trim at Trimgo Ema. Tremant says that the Cats came back from two straight losses with a shocking win over OU. And it's not quite true. They beat TCU last week, but, you know, they came back. Yeah. Two L's. What does Rick need to do this week to similarly come back from the two consecutive L's he's taken on Temptation Island? Well, when I look at Rick, I look at a guy who's really focusing on him, who needs who needs to focus on himself and needs to, you know, put pen to paper on his personal growth journey. And, you know, he needs to get into the right headspace uh, as he navigates this thing we call life. And I think Rick, the way he needs to do that... I think he needs to work on himself. He needs to work on himself. That's what it's always about. And, you know, I'm saying all this stuff, and it sounds all like cliche mumbo-jumbo, because it is, because that's all anyone on that show says. But for Rick's answer... He needs just to get after it. He needs to loosen up a little bit. Yeah. Have some fun. Yeah, just get get back, as he said, to get... Get back to being Slick Rick, and uh, I think yeah, you'll you'll be seeing Slick Rick here shortly. All right, next question comes from a listener at my home season at KSU underscore funny thirty three. He asks, "What is the best Halloween costume you've ever worn?" Oh gosh, I don't dress up for Halloween really, um, but the best one I ever wore, um, I, I was a pretty sick looking ninja. Back in the day, uh, I think it was about third grade. I was a ninja back in the but day too. I I don't really I don't really do Halloween to be honest with you, and uh, you know, but that's that's just me. I'm, I'm probably in the minority there. You're busy. If you want to see what really scares Icon, scares the Icon in, in a movie that he he's scared of, you just show that that clip of the Baylor game. The 2012. Well, no man, just the Baylor game from this year. Where you're grinding on film. Oh, yeah. I mean, when I'm seeing That's sloppy scary. tackling, not wrapping up, not being gap sound. That's scary. Too scary. It gives me the creeps, my man. Uh, all right. Our next question comes from listener SteveZ60. And SteveZ asks, hey, Icon, happy Halloween. 
Can you name the favorite horror movies for these emos? All right? Yeah. There's five of them. Okay. All right, so the favorite horror movies. Their favorite or the one that scares them the most? Their favorite. Oh, so, okay. So both. I, yeah. I think that people's favorite horror movies are probably the ones that scare them the most. Depending on, I don't know, maybe just their favorite. Yeah. Answer how you interpret. Okay. Uh, first one is Tyler Lockett. The Shining. Okay. The next one's Rodney Magruder. Saw 3. <laughs> next one's uh, Dalton... What do we decide? Is it Reisner or Risner? I think it's Reisner. Reisner. <laughs> I, I really... I, I can... It's I mispronounced his name he for... Was, like our best player last year, and I still don't know... I think it's Reisner, and the thing is, too, about uh, Dalton Reisner and, and his name, I always get that confused, and do you, do you remember last year how I couldn't say uh, Madness in Manhattan? I, I called it Midnight in Manhattan, Man, Man, or Midnight in Madness. I, I, I just butchered it up and down the uh, about any way you could. So Yeah, where K-State fans got to watch Cartier DR? Cartier Yada. Cartier Yada. Um, uh, anyway, Dalton Risner's favorite uh, horror movie? Uh, the Purge. Uh, Scotty Hazelton. Ooh, Hayes. Um, well, you see, I feel like he might be a little bit uh, of kind of... Maybe a little bit old school kind of guy, just with some of his mentality. Also, like Nosferatu. What's that? Oh, well, no, I was going to say It. Like the... Like kind of the newer one, because... Even though it's a little bit kind of a kind of a retro reboot, yeah, kind of the retro reboot. But I think the old one wasn't as scary as the new one. That one's too scary. The new one's too scary. Yeah, way too scary. Yeah. Uh, and finally, uh, the Scorpion himself, Bruce Weber. Oh wow! Um, I think he is a um, Silence of the Lambs. Oh, very good. Very scary. Yeah, very scary. All right, well, uh, thank you for that question from Steve Z. As we get uh, the pop culture, uh, we move from the pop culture corner now to Poets Corner. Okay. From listener Cat Kid. Quote, Poor and content is rich, and rich is enough. But rich's fineness is as poor as winter. To him that ever fears, he shall be poor. That's Iago from Shakespeare's Othello. Icon, is it possible that K-State fans have already let the joy of beating the wretched Sooners be consumed by their anxiety over the upcoming match against Jayhawks? Well, that's a great question. But uh, thank you to Cat Kid for uh, you know taking us to Philosopher's Corner. So let's 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 think about that for a moment. Let's meditate. Okay. Do you think K State fans were able to fully suck the marrow out of that victory, so to speak? Mm-hmm. Or do you think K State fans instantly thought, "Oh man, two thousand six. Yeah. What? Where? Where were you on that? Twenty four hour rule. Ah, yeah. Go home, enjoy it, soak it Live in. it up, get all the marrow out, and then... Come Sunday morning, it's time to go back to work. Come come noon on Sunday. It is, it's time to grind. 
And uh, I think that that's what, uh, you know, I think that was kind of the message that uh, Coach Kleiman had imparted to uh, to the Cats. I mean, it was, you know, we're going to go out and we're going to enjoy this one uh, for 24 hours. And um, we got a big game on, on Saturday. Of course, it being against an in-state rival adds to it a little bit. But uh, I think I'll get, you know, I, I did. But to, to go back on that question, there was part of me that did say, yeah, you know, it, this win's great over over KU, but if you come out here and you lay an egg next week against KU, a lot of that goodwill just seems like it gets dumped out. So, yeah, the the, the biggest game on the schedule is the next game, and uh, K State's going to have, uh, you know, they're going to have a, a an, an a worthwhile adversary um, with with KU, and uh, if K State doesn't play well, they're going to find themselves in some trouble. So. They need to uh, to flush this one against Oklahoma. It was a great win, but uh, that that win doesn't mean much if you come out and, and you get smacked around next week. That's right, and I, I know we've been playing some really thought exercises about this game this week for really months, and it's you know the hypothetical of would you rather beat Oklahoma and lose to KU, or, or would you rather lose to KU and beat Oklahoma? And I think we both came out on the same side as you got to beat KU. Well, yes, but my whole perspective on that hypothetical is like that's ridiculous. I mean, let's not get carried away. We're not going to beat Oklahoma this year. Yeah. And but you know here we are, and uh, you know now that hypothetical is is a realistic question for you. Well, it's perception matters. I yeah. mean, and if if K State goes out there and loses to KU, it Makes you feel like, uh, shoot! I hope the tide's not shifting. And here uh, to stay, yeah, yeah, because obviously that's a program that K State recruits against uh, often. Yeah, and especially with in-state guys, and the perception of high schoolers matters to determine, you know, which is the actual better program in the state. Well, and then you have, and also too, you have to figure in, you have to, you know, sit in staff meeting with Terry the next day on Monday, and he'll be, you know, glowing about it. You don't want to have to deal with that, do you? Absolutely not. And so, yeah, I uh, I agree with you. And hats off to uh, to the Poets Corner. Yeah, he always takes a step deeper. And, uh, and we love him for it. Gives us a lot to uh, consider and meditate on. And now our final question of the week comes from uh, listener Stephen at Beantown Cat 22 and the cat from Beantown asks, Icon, who wins in a fight? Elaine from Seinfeld or Phoebe from Friends? I'd say Phoebe from Friends. That's a great question, too. Um, Elaine, kind of all bark, no bite. She has too big of a head. Um, we, we, uh, now, we're big Seinfeld fans. Yeah, and if you go to the tail of the tape. Oh, yeah, Phoebe's. I think Phoebe's got the reach on her by yeah, yeah. probably multiple inches. Yeah, Phobe is going to be a... Um, I mean, she's going to be a significant favorite. And a crafty fighter. Oh, no question. No question. So I, I lean Phoebe. All right. Well, thank you to our listeners for submitting questions this week. And Icon, do you have any final thoughts? You know, no, I don't. But I, I do want to just say one quick thing is that this uh, this win over Oklahoma is really what makes college football special. You know, when you, you go out there and, uh, you know, you're a big underdog, you go out there and you shock the world and uh, get a just a huge win on a beautiful day. That, I mean, that does it get any better than that? No, because then you go home and you, know, you do what I like to do, and that's yeah. just read all the nice things that 
people that you respect say about even your... people that you don't respect. They're still saying nice things. Well, and or even better yet, you go read the opposing team's message board and uh, read all the all what they were saying before the game, and you can kind of enjoy their shock and disappointment. Yeah. Um. And so, yeah, no, it's there's there's nothing better than a surprising victory in college football. And uh, you know, on, on the flip side, there's nothing worse than a surprising defeat. And um, to be able to kind of you know dish that out uh, to really the cream of the crop in the Big Twelve over the last uh, decade with the Oklahoma Sooners, it's uh, great to uh, to put uh, K State in a position now to where bowl eligibility looks like uh, a certainty. And now you're really starting to think about, you know, what, uh, what's, uh, what's the ceiling for this season? And uh, there's still plenty of football to be played, but uh, K-State, uh, if things go well, they could be playing, you know, pretty meaningful football uh, here into the month of November. So uh, exciting times here for K-State fans. That's right. And so keep tuning in. And uh, if, you're, if you can make it to the game on Saturday in, uh, on Mount Oriette, I'd get out there and try not to uh, get ejected. Yeah, yeah, it wouldn't be fun. So, uh, well, folks, thanks again for listening uh, to the Short Side Option podcast. Uh, once again, I'm Chris Sork alongside Dilu. Let us know what your thoughts are on K-State KU. Uh, you can reach us at uh, TSSO underscore podcast on Twitter. And uh, let us know what you think. Uh, for uh, Dilu, the icon, we're signing off here on this edition of the Short Side Option. Thanks for listening. And go Cats!